You're listening to Blissful Prospecting, and today we're talking to Scott Ingram, who's an account director at Relationship One and also founder at Sales Success Media about how to build a killer personal brand. Personal branding is one of those things that I think is very misunderstood. And back in my the beginning of my sales career, which was you know not too long ago, I you know if you're listening to this, maybe you have or haven't been selling longer than me. I'm I'm 31 years old. I've been selling since I was 18, so it was the first you know real job I guess you could say that I had. And during that time, this was what 2007, 2008. Personal branding to me meant I have a Squarespace site and I have a personal website and a blog and I put my thoughts on there and I'm maybe I post on Twitter and I do all this other stuff on social and it's like very personal development, uh, helpful information that I was sharing. None of it I would say was revealing very much about my personality or, or anything like that. And we fast forward to today, you know, 13 years later, personal brand means a lot of different things to me now. And I think the blog and the social is just one aspect. There's questions that I have that I'm really passionate about figuring out the answer to because I want to help you if you're a rep determine if you, one, should have a personal brand and how important that is. And two, what is a personal brand? Like, what should you be focusing on? How do you measure whether or not you have a good versus a, a bad personal brand? So if you're listening to the show for the first time, my name is Jason Bay. I'm host of Blissful Prospecting. And my goal with this podcast is to help you think outside the script in your prospecting approach and help you use proven tactics and strategies to set more meetings with your ideal clients. And what we're going to talk about with our guest today, Scott Ingram, who I'm super excited for you to listen to. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, he's an individual contributor right now by choice, and he kicks major ass at the company that he works at. Um, he's also got two kids. He's got a family. He's got a wife, and he runs a business on the side too called Sales Success Media, where he's got two uh, top-rated podcasts, and he also runs the Sales Success Summit. So the dude is really busy, but what I wanted to pick his brain on is Why? Why did he decide to build a personal brand and do this stuff? And what have the benefits been? And for you, what can you take away from that that you can apply with your own personal brand as you build it or continue to build it? So I'm super excited for you to get into that. And before we get to the interview, I want to let you know about a community that we just launched about three weeks ago. Uh, There's a bunch of people on there right now. And the whole theme around this think outside the script theme is one, creating a place where reps can collaborate with other reps that want to get feedback on their prospecting. So in that community, what you're going to find is other people that want to get better at prospecting and specifically cold outreach. And we're able to share emails and run our talk tracks by each other. We do weekly office hours calls where you can bring your challenges in. And there's a really cool course in there on everything from the reply method that we built out to how to send better cold emails, how to make better cold calls, etc. So go check that out, blissfulprospecting.com. At the very top, you'll see join the community. Click there check it out and let me know if you have any questions. Um, you know how to get a hold of me. The best way is on LinkedIn. And without further ado, let's get to the interview. So we met in a very similar way that I've met a lot of people actually in the last year as I sent you a cold email. Do you remember that? I do remember that. It's a very good cold email. Probably the yeah. best one that I got last year. Oh yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> I, I saw that 
Well, the funny part is that I didn't even notice that you were in Austin. I looked at all your stuff on LinkedIn and everything you're doing. And the one thing I didn't even look at was the city that you lived in. And you're like, hey, what you're doing is cool. Let's figure out how we can support each other. So that's that's sort of how we met. But I wanted to really start, not necessarily completely from the beginning in your career, but what was really interesting to me is, and we were talking about this before you record, is why, why did you get into all of the sales success media stuff? You got two podcasts. You run a summit. You've written multiple books. Why did you decide to do that when you were already working a full time job? You know, dad, husband. Like, it seems like you got a lot of other stuff going on. Like, why? Why did you decide to start this? Yeah. So the the very beginning, there were there were a couple of events that that came together. I, I would say the 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 entire why around this. The the real underlying motivation is I've always been a student of sales mm-hmm. and I've read way too many books and, and just always been after this type of content to learn more and improve myself and improve my own results. And the thing to me that was missing was all of this content is coming from folks who aren't actually selling right now. And, and if they are selling, they're selling themselves and they're selling their training or they're selling their keynote presentations or whatever it is. And I was like, wait a minute, I want to hear from the people who are in a similar role to me right now in this environment with, with all of the technologies and distractions that we have in play today. I want to talk to the people that are doing the very best in that environment. So that's, that's the biggest thing that was underlying it. This idea, Jason, goes back so far. It's a little bit embarrassing because it took me, it was really something like seven years before I did anything meaningful with it. And I, oh, I, wow. went, to, I went to the Austin Under 40 uh, Awards event that happens here in Austin every year. And it's, it's put on by a couple of, of young professional organizations. It's a big nonprofit fundraiser. And the model blew my mind. So this is like 2010, 2011. This is when you moved to Austin, right? From I'd been in Austin for a while. No, I've, I've been in Austin for about 16 years now, but you know, I'd been in town maybe five years, something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, and I go to this event and again, it was the model. So the, the structure of the Austin under 40 event is they have 10 different categories and in each category they there's this big nomination process there's a ton that happens behind the scenes but they end up with 50 finalists so each category has five finalists so you end up with there's nonprofit and uh, technology and legal and healthcare and all these different categories with with all these different folks and then they pick a winner in each category and then they pick an overall winner who becomes the Austinite of the year and the result is a uh, really nice event where I, I, it's 10 years later, who knows what the ticket price is. At the time, it was probably $125 a person. And there were 800 or 1,000 people there because every one of these people had a table or two of their friends and family and supporters. And I just looked at this and thought, holy crud, this is brilliant. Like This is a cash cow of an idea. And I immediately thought something like this needs to exist in sales for a couple of reasons. One, I think the wiring of salespeople is very, very simple. I joke that we have two buttons. One button is a cash button. And most of us enjoy when you push that button. Please press it frequently and press hard. We like it. (laughs) The other button 
is a recognition button. And the reality is, especially once you've pressed the cash button enough, the recognition button for many of us is bigger than the cash button and very rarely does it get pressed. And so I thought, wouldn't it be amazing if there were a sales event like this where we had a whole bunch of different categories and we had finalists in every category and we could recognize those folks. And you know, if you think about the profile of those individuals, they're heroes on their sales team. They're likely known in their company, right? So they, they have some level of visibility and notoriety. They might be a little bit known in their industry, but after that, nobody knows who they are. Nothing anywhere near like people might know their CEO or their CFO or, or some of their other C-level executives. And the reality is if we take stock options off the table, they probably make more money on their W-2 than, than a lot of those, those individuals. But again, the real motivation when I really peeled that back I wanted to build a, a multi-day event around this. And, and the, the working name for the event was the Rainmaker Awards. And I, I was looking for an excuse to interrogate them. I just, I just wanted the reason to bring them all together. The, the reward, the awards and the recognition was, was a ruse <laughs> to, to give me the excuse to put them in, on panels and figure out what, what are you doing? How did you do this? And so this idea percolated for years and years and years. And five years ago, I got super into podcasts. And at the time, I was doing this ridiculous thing. I'd get up at, at 4.30 in the morning and I would, I, I was trying, I was doing this streaking thing. So I was trying to get 10,000 steps in every single day and consecutive days. And most of the time I got it done by about 6 a.m. So I'd get up real early, I'd grab my dog and we'd go for like you a go four streaking? or five mile walk. I'd go streaking, exactly. <laughs> no, I usually wore clothes uh, for, for the walk, but That's I was <laughs> going for a big streak. And, uh, uh, and so it was at that time I really got into podcasts. And, and you can listen to a lot of podcasts when you're going for this hour long, hour and a half long walk every morning. And I was listening to, actually I remember, I don't know which episode specifically, but I was listening to Hal Elrod's podcast. And, the, and you probably Miracle know Morning. Hal if you've read The Miracle Morning, exactly. Yeah. And he had somebody on and they were talking about personal branding. And I thought, you know, I've always been pretty good at personal branding, but I always believe that there's always better. And so I thought, yeah, we'll, we'll give this a listen. Who, who knows what I might learn? And there was something in that episode and I, I don't, I should go and find it again because it would be, it would be interesting to hear what it was because I remember exactly where I was in the walk uh, around the neighborhood and it clicked and I went, wait a minute. I haven't done this giant Rainmaker Awards thing because it is so big. It is so hard um, to, to take it on would just be this monumental uh, undertaking. And the dots just connected as I was listening to this podcast. And I went, wait a minute. The whole reason I want to do this is I want to get to the stories. What if I were just to start a podcast and, and go straight there? Forget the event. Forget the, forget the awards and all this other stuff. I can get this through the podcast mechanism. So with that idea, and, and at the same time I was working on, here's why I say I was pretty good at personal branding. At that exact same moment, I was in the early stages of, of the process of writing my first book. And that book, ironically, this all ties together because I, I had, again, this, this idea of this event was really intentional. And I went to a work for a company that sold event marketing technology. 
because I thought, hey, if I'm ever going to do this big, huge event, I need to learn that space better. And I have this theory that the two best ways to learn something are one, to do it or two, to sell it. (laughs) And so I thought, I'm going to go sell this. Let me go sell a marketing technology to some of the best marketing organizations in in the world. And I, I sold that platform to CA Technologies and I used it to run CA World. And I sold that technology to AT&T and they used it to run all of the sponsorship stuff that happens around Pebble Beach. And there are a whole bunch of other examples. And I was working on a book for them called Making Rain with Events. So it really was a a personal branding effort. And so as these dots started to connect, I went, okay, well, I want to launch this podcast. How do I do that? You know, what, what are all the mechanics of doing that? And I figured, you know what, I bet I can learn this process by getting my company to pay for me to learn how to do it. And so what I did is once the book was done, I turned it into an audio book, but in podcast form. So I, I just recorded every chapter was an episode. That's the way the podcast started. And then I flipped it over into an interview format. And that's where I learned I never want to edit another podcast episode myself in my life. I outsource that. Jason, we should talk about that. It's not worth it. And, and then, and again, it, it allowed me to just practice and get better at interviewing. So when it came time um, to launch sales success stories, I knew how to do it. I had all the equipment. I was a better interviewer. I knew how to structure the show and and do all of those things. So if you go back and listen to episode one of sales success stories, it's decent. I'm still pretty proud of that. And if you talk to most podcasters, episodes one is something they wish that would go away. Yeah. (laughs) You did it smart too, though. I mean, you, you guessed it on how many shows right before you launched your own. Yeah. I mean, like 40 plus. Yeah. And I'd already run a podcast prior to that before I, where ironically I interviewed Hal Elrod. So no uh, way that that was a super fun interview. I mean, the dude, he, one thing that we have in common is, well, I didn't do Cutco though in college. I ran a house painting business, but he did Cutco and sort of did the, you know, working with college students type of thing, did a lot of door to door. We had that in common and I mean, I could go on and on about his stuff. So super, super inspiring, dude. One th- so one thing you said that stuck out to me is this. So it sounds like you had a yearning. <laughs> yearning is a fun word. Uh, <laughs> you had a desire to learn from, like you took the approach of, if I want to learn how to play really good basketball, I want to talk to the Michael Jordans of the world, not the Phil Jacksons of the world, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, is, have you always been like that where it's like, I want to do peer-based learning, versus this, let me learn from the guru, you know, type of thing? You know, I, I don't know. I, I've, I've done a lot of both. Um, and I think it really it's, it's a more recent preference that I've developed to where, and I don't mean to discount like the, the coach guru model at all. Right. And in, mm-hmm. in fact, I had this giant, like massive, massive epiphany, uh, this last weekend, I was like, man, am I the only one who's ever thought this, this is really interesting. And I Googled that particular concept and it's like the name of a keynote that Mark Hunter gives. I was like, wow. Okay. So there was, uh, sales is leadership. Yeah. was is kind of the nugget of of that idea. I just I was like, holy crud. I I again, big epiphany because I was I was playing the sales game. And and that's what that's what came out of it for me. And 
to, to me, especially in the sales space, I feel like it's just a missing thing here. What I really wanted to get at, it's, it's not necessarily the, what, what you get from the, the guru class is they think a lot about the big picture and the structures and the models and the strategies and, and all of these th- types of things. And what I have found in talking with, with my peers is we've all consumed many of those things. We've, we've been through Sandler training and we've read the challenger sale and we've read spin selling and you know, all of these different things, what you don't get by following any one of those particular philosophies or gurus or approaches or what have you is you don't get, how do real humans <laughs> sitting in my shoes actually assimilate all of that? Because we've, again, we've all heard a lot of the same stuff. And one of the questions I ask in virtually every interview is, do you subscribe to a particular sales philosophy? And sometimes they'll say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm all about challenger or, I mean, that's probably the most common one. Sometimes they'll mention Sandler, they'll, they'll mention things like that. But at the end of the day, I, the, the real most common response is, no, I've assembled my own model over time. And, and that I really think is, that's the secret, right? It's a ton of work. You have to do a lot of repetitions. You have to do a lot of study and take in a lot of inputs and just experiment with a ton of stuff until you figure out what fits me, right? What's, what's the right approach that fits my style, my strengths, my skill set. And apply that. And you don't get that in, again, like if, if you're looking at a particular sales model, it looks one way in an in a, in idyllic, perfect sales world. And it ignores the fact <laughs> that you've got all sorts of other demands coming at you. I've got all sorts of other meetings and other things that are trying to capture my time and attention. And it's also true for my prospects. So, there's, there's no process that I could run perfectly. I have to figure out how to make my process fit in my available time and the, the times in the day when I have the most energy and all of that kind of stuff. And that's what I wanted to get to. Like, how do real people apply all this crud? <laughs> and and what, are the, what are the cherries that they have picked off of all of these different trees that work for them? Yeah, and I'm wondering what you have found from this. And by the way, I, I love what you said about methodologies because, and I guarantee if we looked at the person that said, I'm challenger, I guarantee you could find some gap selling in there. Yeah. You know, you could find all kinds of, you definitely Sandler upfront contracts. I bet they use, you know what I mean? I guarantee you could find a bunch of different stuff, but there's, okay. There's a lot of different ways we could take this because what you basically made the case for just now was that per, the reason why a part of why personal branding is really important is by building up a platform, you've given yourself the ability to make having a conversation with you worth more of someone else's time versus can I take you out to coffee? Can I pick your brain for 60 minutes with no benefit really to the other person outside of it might make them feel good? Yes, but but let me dispel something first because I think a lot of people are 
intimidated, afraid, have a whole mm-hmm. bunch of false beliefs around this guy who sits on this giant pedestal. And maybe they think of you and me that way, which always makes me laugh, but I know that it's true, right? You're on a giant pedestal for a lot of people that are listening to your show. They don't realize that if they would reach out and and ask for some time or ask a question, I'm more than happy to answer. And so is virtually that's why everybody we do this. that has done this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's it, why exactly, we do it. That's exactly right. And and so again, a, a lot of people look at what I have today that I've been working on a number of years building, and they go, "Well, it's because you have this platform." Like, yeah, but wait, let's go back to the beginning when I set up interview one on sales success stories, there was no podcast. There was nothing to point at. And I was able to have an incredible conversation with the number one sales guy at LinkedIn. And that was true for the first two or three or four episodes because it took a little while to to get those out there and to have any sort of credibility. But it again, that that doesn't matter. Yes, does it make it easier? For sure. And and now people come to me, which is which is totally fun and, and different. But you know, it, for the first, and it took longer to get to that point than I thought. I thought, oh, you know, after I do this for a few months, I'll have to figure out how to send everybody away. I, I still work to to find great people to interview, and I, I rely super heavily on my audience to help flesh those people out. Um, but that that common thread is the the willingness uh, of of people to mentor and to help is way bigger than you think. And the other side is, you know, you see folks that are on a podcast or they do a big webinar and they have this big platform and you think, oh, well, hundreds of people are reaching out to them. It's garbage. A handful of people are reaching out to them and it, 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 the barrier to entry is so freaking low. It's, it's ridiculous. Just yeah. ask. I mean, you, you did this when, when you did all of your cold outreach and you reached out to all these sales podcasters, you get this ridiculous response partly because your message was really smart and it was really differentiated, but the bar was really not, it wasn't even that high. I mean, you jumped over it, but the, what you need to step over the bar of average prospecting or average podcast pitching is really not much. Yeah, it really isn't the, well, what I want to ask you then, cause you brought up something really interesting. So there's this mindset. See, this is a facet of building personal brand. I think you hit the hammer on the nail there where it's something that people are afraid to get started. What were you most self-conscious about or what was the biggest hurdle that you had to overcome? Because it took you a while to get some of this stuff launched, right? What what were some of the inner mental things that you were battling or thinking yeah, about? Yeah, well, so, so the biggest thing, particularly around sales success is, you know, given that the criteria is I'm only talking to number one, top 1% individual contributors. When I started the show, I was not that. I was not the number one guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the the most common sort of imposter syndrome stuff that all of us have, it always begins with, who am I? Right? How how am I the guy that should be doing this? There's many other people who should probably be taking this torch and running with it. Who am I to to be the one to do that? But how am I not that, that person? Right. And, and the outcome of that is now I am the number one guy. And, and I attribute a massive amount of that to the relationships and the mentoring and, and just all of the, the advice that I've been able to benefit from 
in having created this and built all of these relationships. I mean, it, it transfers over. I, I did a, a, a quarterly review process with, with my boss here recently, and he just called out. He's like, clearly, all this stuff you're doing, all of your side hustle fun is making a big difference. And we've known each other. This is the third company we've worked together. So oh, he's, cool. he's seen me, right? This isn't some random like sales manager who's like, wow, you're pretty good at what you do. He's watched me evolve and he's kind of seen a, a big part of this journey. He's like, clearly the things that you're bringing from these conversations and applying to your sales process as you continue to iterate and improve your own process. He's like, I see it. It works. It's amazing. Oh, that's super cool, man. That's cool that you've worked with the same boss for three jobs. He has, this is the first time he's been, he's been my boss. So this was, this is super intentional. Yeah. We were, we were peers. We started the very same day together at Bizarre Voice here in Austin. So that was, that was company one. And then while I was interviewing at Eloqua, they were also looking for uh, a leader of the SDR team. And I, I called Aaron and said, Hey, I, I think this is right. So I brought, I was still interviewing and I, and I recommended him for that position. So he started a week behind me at Eloqua. And then we got to a, we got to a point uh, with, with this company where my previous boss moved on uh, to a no opportunity and they were looking to fill the role. Um, and I, I've talked extensively about being an intentional individual contributor. So I, I didn't want that job, but yeah. I did want, I did want to have some input into who that person was. Because I've seen, I don't ask explicitly about it in, in my podcast interviews, but I'm not sure that I've ever interviewed somebody who is number one in their organization despite their boss. I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can overcome all of the day-to-day obstacles that are sales and overcome a poor leader. The, almost everybody that I've, I've worked with or, or interviewed, their leader is, is a partner right? They're helping them in their process and get things done. So again, it was something that I was conscious of. I I knew that whoever was in that role was going to make a very meaningful difference in my own growth and my own results. Uh, And I was just in a position to kind of influence things just a little bit. No, that's super cool, man. So with this personal branding thing, so the other thing I picked up from what you said around the imposter syndrome is well, one, I feel you on that. I feel that I still feel that. Yeah, um, we all do. We all do. Uh, I mean, so, yeah. so, and you were on, were, were you on the secret LinkedIn sales stars call? Yep. I was on both calls. Yep. So that one, uh, so, and, and I'll let you maybe draw in the context here, but we had kind of this, this secret call amongst all of these contributors. And that's what jumped out at me is even with that group, even with the, with the folks who had quote unquote made it, there was so much, and, and a lot of this was, was specific around video, but there was so much imposter syndrome stuff going on in that group of folks who were, you're all like, what are you talking about? You're already there. And I get this from the top performing salespeople. A lot of them are coming to me and they're like, Scott, I, sure, I'll come on your podcast, but who am I? There's nothing special that I'm doing. I'm like, yeah, you mm-hmm. haven't, you haven't talked to me yet. <laughs> I will get it out of you. But, <laughs> but it's amazing how many come into that conversation thinking, I'm not special. There's nothing different about what I'm doing. And, and the other part of the imposter syndrome is that we're blind 
to the stuff we're really good at. A lot of times the things that are our strengths that come so naturally, we don't realize other people just flat out can't do it. And so it, it comes across as like some superhuman superpower. And to us, it's like, well, that's just the way I operate. That's, that's what I do. And so that's the other place that that imposter syndrome thing sort of comes into play is you can't see. There's another term for this that's escaping me right now, but you're, you're not able to see objectively from the outside the things that you're really great at or you devalue them and you don't understand how powerful they are from inside yourself. Yeah, some sort of cognitive bias or something there going yeah. on. So it's the curse of knowledge. That's what it is. Yeah. So when oh. you know something, right, it's like, well, everybody knows this. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. That, and, and once you know it, it's, see, it's, it, it's, it's a super weird dynamic. Do some Googling around that. I bet you'll find some good stuff. Curse of knowledge. So that's, again, this kind of follows that theme of this peer versus guru kind of thing where I think a lot of people associate Hey, if I'm going to start a podcast, I need to be the guru. I need to be the expert at what I'm doing so that people can learn from me versus what if people just learn from me as a peer and I just share what works well for me and I approach this more out of a place of curiosity yeah. and I'm curious about, because that's what you've made your entire brand around is I've heard you talk about Tim Ferriss in this way too, or it's like, yeah, yeah. it's that same approach. He's not really the expert necessarily. And you're also a you know a top contributor at your company, but the podcast is not, hey, here are my ways of doing things and here's how I'm the best at what I do. It's really exploring other people and it's this like unfolding of what other people are doing and learning from that together with your audience versus this, I know the best way of doing things, here's how you need to do it. I personally think that things are moving away from the guru types, especially in the sales mm -hmm. world where people are so much less responsive to the person that comes in and says, I know how to do this best because I've been doing it the longest versus here's what I do that works. And here are the people that I teach or coach or interview or, or work with or lead or manager or whatever. Here's what the collective group of people that I help do and recommend versus yeah. me. Well, it, it's interesting you say that because I'm actually thinking about, I, I think this applies a, a number of different ways and I haven't been as thoughtful about this. You've given me something to think about. It, it's really this idea of the hero's journey. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, there's always, there's always the, the, uh, maybe it's the guru, right? There's, there's that person you sort of learn from and you develop and there's challenges. And I, I think you're right. I think that where the whole guru thing is coming apart right now is the world's a changing. It's not ever going to be the same place that it was the way we started 2020. And, and so the only people who are going to know what actually works and how this works are those of us who are doing it and dealing with it right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's kind of, we're all in, in the ultimate hero's journey right now, right? We've, we've all been given just a, a little bit of a challenge. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, in the okay, go journey, figure this out. Yeah. And in the hero's journey, to your point, the guide, Yoda the guide. to Thank Luke you. Skywalker. That's what I was looking for. Yep. Yoda is not the hero of that journey. That's right. Exactly. Luke Skywalker is. So, right. you know, like everything you're doing, Scott Ingram's not the hero. It's, it's like these people, that's why so many people love what you're doing, man. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to get to, I could talk about this forever. I want to make sure we get to this. Um, so let's just 
preface this a little bit. Where did this project come from where you decided, hey, I want to interview people that are really good at LinkedIn? Where did that come from and how did you get that started? Like, why did you decide to do that? So it, it started with me getting really freaking challenged by somebody. So I, I realized, I, I, I knew at the summit, so you know Scott Lease or know of Scott Lease. Yep. Scott's here in Austin and we'd not met. And I recognized at the summit because Scott, Scott Barker, I just called him, almost called him Scott again. I don't know what that is. I must want to jump ahead to the Barker. Maybe that's where Scott comes from. That's like a big inside joke for, for some of us. Anyway, so... I knew that Scott Barker was going to have drinks with Scott Lease uh, during the summit. And when he told me where, I was like, this guy must be my freaking neighbor because that restaurant is in my backyard. And, and so sure enough, we end up connecting just before Thanksgiving this, this last year. And he lives between me and the Starbucks that I go to most frequently. So he probably lives half a mile from here. So we meet up at the Starbucks and we're just getting to know each other. We're, we're just kind of catching up on stuff. I mean, we knew each other by reputation and some of the things that we'd been working on. He knew about my podcast. I knew about surf and sales and, and those kinds of things. And he really challenged my thinking on the way that I was using LinkedIn. And I had actually publicly struggled with this maybe six or eight months before. We I wrote talked an about article, this a little bit too. Yeah, I, I wrote an article called Reach Versus Relationships. And I was... I mean, I've been a huge fan and a huge user of LinkedIn from early, early on. And the way that I've always used LinkedIn as a, is a, as a way to manage my real life relationships. I, I basically, my rule was if we didn't have some type of meaningful conversation or relationship before, we weren't going to connect on LinkedIn. Not that that couldn't be solved, right? We could schedule a call. We, we could talk about it. Um, so when I went into that conversation, I probably had, I don't know, 3,000 LinkedIn connections, maybe 3,300 3, feels like the number that was, that was floating around at the time. And, and those were relationships that I've built over 10 years in sales. And he just said, look, man, the game on LinkedIn has changed. And given all the things that you're doing with your podcast and the summit and these other things, he's like, you really do need to be thinking more about the audience side of that equation. And he just, he gave me some ideas and said, look, I, I think you should change your approach and start doing these couple of things. And I started doing that. And as the, as, as the calendar turned over, so from that meeting, and that was just before Thanksgiving, I remember because he was going to be going to the, the Thanksgiving day Cowboys game and the fricking his Buffalo bills beat my Cowboys. Very sad. Oh, he's um, a Buffalo Bills fan. He's a Buffalo Bills fan. I think oh. he grew up. I think he grew up upstate. So his upstate family was coming into town, and, <laughs> and they were they were going to do all that stuff. So, um, you know, between then and the end of the year, I'd added about round numbers two thousand connections, and was was really moving down this this particular path. And then early Jan, you know, the the first of the year rolls around, I continue with with the process and the audience continues to grow and I'm seeing higher and higher levels of engagement. And I'm also part of the sales experts channel. And and with the sales experts channel, they ask you to give a couple of webinars a year. And I was starting to think about, okay, what's what do I present on? Right? What's what's most relevant? What's going to be really interesting? And I thought, you know what? I'm really interested in LinkedIn and what I'm doing and I'm I'm working on improving my game and that seems to be a really hot topic right now. Let me go do that. And my initial idea was, you know, maybe I grab Scott Lee or I I grab Jake Dunlap, who's another guy in town with just a massive LinkedIn following and 
maybe I'll just make this easy on myself and interview one of those guys and just talk about how they have found success on LinkedIn and what they're doing. And then very quickly, like sometimes happens in my life, things escalated really fast. And I, I, I just had this idea of the first question I asked myself was, okay, who would I do this with? And what is the definition of success on LinkedIn? Like, what are the outward things that you can see that show you that somebody is having success? Because what you'll never see is how many deals are they closing through LinkedIn? I'd love yeah. to know that. But it, I, I, wanted, I wanted something where there was outward publicly available evidence. And as I thought about that, I basically came up with the first version of this this model that I use to measure success on LinkedIn. And it's, it, to me, the, the best outward sign is, is the level of engagement that you're driving. It has nothing to do with how many followers you have and how many connections you have. Because I found a few people with, I'm not kidding, multiple hundreds of thousands of followers. And yet when I looked at their posts, they had close to zero engagement. And I was like, first, I couldn't even understand how that's possible. <laughs> how can you have a quarter million followers and you post something and nothing happens? So, and then on the other end of the spectrum, there were folks like Amy Quick, who I, who I recently connected with. And she had a very, very modest following, a couple thousand people. And she was driving just these massive conversations. Like she was getting 150 comments on a post and I was like, wow, that to me, that's what I want. I, that's, that's what I want to sort of emulate. That's what I want to learn from. So I, I continued to sort of flush out that model that looks at how much engagement do they have divided by how many followers they have to come up with sort of a percentage. And, and the really cool part about the model is it actually favors emerging thought leaders. Because if you've got a really, really big following, if you've got 60 or 80,000 followers, it's so hard to drive the level of engagement to even stay on the list. And I'm like, I like that. Because if you're at that level, that's awesome. You've already got your following. You go do your thing with your following. Let me shine a, shine a spotlight on the people that are coming out and, and really starting to emerge and developing their thoughts and, and building community and things like that. And so it just, it, Again, I, I ran that that idea by Logan Lyles, who's, who's a good friend at, at Sweetfish Media, and I was like, "Hey, what about this? And who do you know that that fits that model?" And it very quickly and ironically, Logan is is works like for number James two Carberry on the What's list, that? isn't he? Isn't he number two on he the was, list? He was he was way up there. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. and and here's here's the thing. So Logan works with James Carberry, who I also also a good friend. Um, James is a CEO of a company called Sweetfish Media, and they they produce B two B podcasts. He had just written a book called Content-Based Networking. And it's my playbook. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, this is what I've done. This is every book I've ever done. These are the podcasts I've done. One of the big reasons for all of these things here. So here's the secret. If nobody ever listened to sales success stories, if that podcast had an audience of zero, three and a half years later, it wouldn't matter. Because the value to me is in those relationships and is in, in all of that mentoring that I've been able to benefit from. And I think a lot of people look at this whole thing backwards. And, you know, I've, I've created another podcast for my day job where I talk to marketers. And again, the size of the audience is irrelevant. What matters is the relationships that I'm able to build and in many times turn into sales. Because just the way that conversation goes and, and the way that we get to know each other, 
I tell people from a podcasting perspective, the magic happens before and after I push the record button. Because as soon as we click that off, especially when you're talking to a Fortune 500 marketer, they're very, very reserved and they're, they're holding a lot of things back that they can't say publicly. And there's some weird psychological thing that goes on because as soon as I turn that recording off, they have to tell me secrets. <laughs> they're like, okay, Scott, look, here's, the, here's what I couldn't tell you publicly. It, they, somehow they have to get it off their chest. And so we get into this very deep, very personal, very human conversation. And, and before you know it, they're asking me like, well, wait a minute, don't you guys work on these kinds of things? Is this something you could help us with? It's the most natural transition to a sales conversation I have ever experienced in my life. Podcasting is a secret weapon. Don't tell anybody. I love this. So, I mean, so it sounds like this project, again, was driven by your natural curiosity of how to get better at something and what better way than to, I mean, there's just so many, it's a win, 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 right? Yes, exactly. You win from it, the people you're connecting with win, and then the people that consume the information win also. Exactly. So with this project, God, for time's sake, I want to get to some tips. So let's, okay. uh, what are your favorite? And before we get to the tips, actually, I'm just getting the hang of this interview thing, man. I'm kind of all over the place. So before we get to the tips, I was really curious. I wanted to ask you, is there anything that you've gotten just from having conversations with people and getting to interact with them and on those calls that we did too, that you have learned just by how these people operate that you know, wasn't captured that you can't really capture, you know, in a book, is there anything like that you came across or noticed or habits or anything like that? Yeah, a, a lot. I mean, it's, it's hard to, to try and distill that down. I mean, the, the good news is so much of it got captured either in the free PDF or, or mm. even more in, in the ebook because of the depth that people went in, in some of the articles. You know, one thing that really stands out is Dale Dupree was talking about, he he has basically this influencer stalking methodology and he, it's smart, right? It's, it's this kind of fish where the fish are type of idea. He'll find somebody that's got a giant following and he will work to recognize what their posting schedule is. So he'll figure out, okay, this guy. Gary V. I mean, that's that's one that that he would use. So he would look at Gary V. and figure out Gary's posting schedule, and then he would be all, all over Gary V. And as soon as he drops that post, his goal was to be the first and most meaningful comment on that post. So now the whole of his audience is seeing Dale and is seeing like this really thoughtful, potentially controversial point of view. And now they're engaging with him and now they're following him. So that, that to me, and it's, it's funny because I'm actually thinking about potentially experimenting with that next week because there was a lot of content that was focused on the posting side of, of LinkedIn, right? Here's how to manage the algorithms and different, ty- different ways to post and, and uh, all kinds of stuff. I think you could very effectively run a LinkedIn strategy where you never post but you are just creating conversation and commenting in the right, very visible places that you could grow a really meaningful following. Because, you know, ultimately what you want to do is you want to attract your people. 
And especially if you're able to do this in, in ways that are maybe a little bit controversial, where, where you're going to sort of separate my people from the other people who don't believe what, what I believe. And those people are going to get mad. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's okay, right? It, it's, it, it's some of that polarizing type of content that is going to allow your people to find you. It's something I honestly don't do very well. I'm bad at at controversy and and doing that kind of thing. But you have um, a lot of opinions, though. I have you're a very, I have a lot of opinions. I I but I also think that I am am it may again maybe it's part of my brand, part of my style. I try and keep things pretty smooth, right? I'm I'm not one that I'm not looking to go out and offend somebody and just turn people off. That's that's not really the way that I play the game. Um, and it is, it, it's a very advanced topic. You know, we, we yeah. talked about this in one of the webinars. I'm like, if, if you're going to use this tool, it is powerful. Yeah. I think and it, it can, can be, be subtle with it, sword though. and it can burn you. Yeah. I think you could be <laughs> subtle with it. It's like with personal branding, if you had a piece of content that said, I think you're missing out on a huge opportunity right now, if you don't take your personal brand more serious. Yeah. Now, you know, here's, here's the other thing, and, and this is a debate. Um, oh, so this, we can we can sort of include this in the in the tips and outcomes because this didn't really come up in in any of those Q and A sessions, um, but it's come up in a in a few conversations here more recently. So, one, I know you're a big fan of Beck Holland. Mm-hmm. Um, Beck, the timing just conspired against us, and and she wasn't able to contribute the way that we had talked about, but she was going to bring a counter article to the ebook with reasons why you may not want to create a personal brand. And along with that, so another conversation that I've been having, because I, I watched um, uh, Colin Cadmus was, was mentioning Scott Lee in a conversation they had on, on that podcast about Scott basically convinced him that having a personal brand is, is one of the most valuable things and a big differentiator that sales leaders should have. Dude, Colin had a post yesterday that had 10,000 likes on it. Yeah, I, I think it grew to 40,000. <laughs> oh, um, 40, that's what it was, 40,000 likes. Yeah, he's, he's going to win the next update of the list. Um, but here's, here's the thing, though. I think there's a discussion that needs to be had around that because a, a personal brand is a double-edged sword, right? If you, if you have a really high level of visibility and your things get seen, and you work for a company, you can freak the heck out of your executive leadership and your board. And I think that there's actually a majority of that class, of of the executive leader board level, who, uh, what's the opposite of value? (laughs) Like, Don't see the value in that personal brand. They see it as a liability. Yeah, they see it as I would say that's yeah. probably 90% of the case. Yeah, like this person's dangerous. Yeah. You know, they they've got this platform. They they have more eyes and ears than we do as a company. So if they turn against us or something goes sideways or they post something that we don't agree with, like they can single-handedly take down our brand. And so it's something that and I'm not seeing this conversation anywhere. It's something you really need to be thoughtful about. What does this mean? And I will tell you the reason I still don't work for the event marketing company, even though I wrote a book that was designed to help me sell more for them. And I really wanted to set up this long term path there is 
that executive leadership wasn't on board with, with what I was doing. And part of the reason why I came to relationship one, and I was very clear from the onset that I was going to be starting this podcast and doing these things. Um, I, I needed them to know that that's what I was going to be doing. Um, and that, you know, they, they're my employer, right? That, that is my primary biggest priority, right? That is where my bread gets buttered. That's what feeds my family and pays my mortgage. So they, they're always number one amongst these other things that I do, but I needed to be really clear and really upfront with them that I was going to be doing this and make sure that they were okay with that because a lot of organizations are not. And I, I needed to find that because this is maybe yearning is the word like, I have to do this at, at this point. I can't not <laughs> do, do all the sales success stuff that I have. And if the company that I'm going to work for isn't on board with it, it's not going to work, period. Yeah. God, I'm glad I don't have to deal with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I yeah think you're, that you're on a good path. I think that there's a happy medium in here, it sounds like, too, where what you outlined earlier, I think, is more of probably ideal for the typical rep. Dude, you don't got to be a thought leader. That's yes. not what personal branding is. It doesn't mean yeah. thought leadership. Those are two separate things. And if all you did was use your LinkedIn to proactively connect with prospects, like and comment their stuff, send messages to them, use the audio, the video, that kind of stuff, yes. and use it to connect with your peers, that's personal brand right there. You're popping up and showing up in their feeds and yeah. it's easier to connect with them and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's probably more typical and doable anyways. But I love Dale's tip there because that's one thing I noticed about Dale. I see him commenting all over the place. And it is yep. a very, that's what I shared on the on the LinkedIn call last week was being more contrarian, taking, just taking yep. it, taking yep. a side. And I don't talk about politics though. I don't talk about anything that's like super. Right, right. Yeah, let's not be stupid. Here. Crazy. Let's not be stupid. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid to say, if you're doing this, I think you're stupid. You know, like you're stupid for doing right. this approach, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, um, okay. Before we run out of time, one more LinkedIn tip that was maybe not a really obvious one because Dale's, that is such a good tip, man. Yeah. Um, so anything well, else well, like let's, that? let's keep going on this theme. Cause I, I think, I think you're onto something, right? So uh, personal branding is this big lofty long-term strategy and play. Mm -hmm. If you think about what is, what's going to move the needle for me right now, it was really subtle. It was super early because I think you're right. I think I think Logan Lyles was the second person uh, on on the list, and he has a tip. He he talked about pods, and and engagement pods, right? So the idea is you're kind of liking each other's stuff to to drive your post up in, in the algorithm. That's all well and good, but the subtlety in what he actually suggested was do this with your customers, do this with your prospects, help them build their brands. And so if you look at, you don't have to build this giant PDF ebook, 36 people LinkedIn project the way that I did, but I think that you can look at that model and look for ways to where, how can you create many micro communities among your ideal target prospects or, or even their, even your clients may even take people that you've sold to in the last six months, right? Take the last 10 people that you sold to bring them together because I promise you they value getting the opportunity to get to know each other and build those relationships. Oh, you yeah. will be known because you're the catalyst who brought that together. And when you have those kinds of relationships with your previous customers or your ideal prospects, 
you're going to get great referrals. They're going to do reference calls for you. They're going to like your content, which means it's going to start to circulate in the communities you're actually selling to. I mean, the, the downside of so much of this LinkedIn project is it's a whole bunch of salespeople talking about sales. What I haven't found is somebody that's executing the strategy wildly well within their customer community. And they may not come up all the way on the radar because they don't need a huge, huge level of engagement to do it. You just need 10 of the right people to make your year in certain spaces, right? So I think you can be really, really intentional about creating those little micro communities and it's a super light lift. I mean, I have done this with dinners. I've done, hey, my CEO is coming to town. And once you get one or two, once you have that anchor, I'm in Austin. So the last time I did this, brought my CEO to town. Um, once I had a friend from Dell and a friend from National Instruments in play, all the other seats were really, really easy to fill. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's that kind of anchoring uh, social proof sort of effect. And I think you can do that on LinkedIn very powerfully. And you yeah. can do it tomorrow. You don't have to, you don't have to grow 5,000 followers before you can run that play. That play will work right now. Go. Yeah. Oh, dude, I love that. It's such gold because I, I even get stuck sometimes when I post stuff, it doesn't get the engagement that I want. And I'm like, you know what? I'd rather have 10 or 15 people engaged with something that are my ideal you know, prospects and customers yes. than yeah. to have hundreds of people. Because that's what happens a lot of times when these posts to take off. It's like hundreds of people interacting with my stuff that I could never do business with and never really help in any Yeah, capacity. so who cares? I don't care about that. You know, right. it's, it's... yeah. This is the same thing that we talked about a lot just around video, right? Because LinkedIn yeah. doesn't give as much love to the video posts, but you know. if a picture is worth a thousand words, how much is a video worth? And yeah. just that ability. Of, so I promise you, your video posts are converting so much higher in terms of relationship and, and real impact than your 1300 character text post is, even though LinkedIn prefers the latter. Yeah. It's good stuff, man. So, I mean, if you're not bought into personal branding at this point for peer learning is what I heard a lot about today, building skills it's helped you with. It's helped you build community with people. It's helped you make sales. I mean, if you're not bought into this and at this point, I don't know what's going to get you bought in. <laughs> I'm talking the, to me or your audience because I'm sold. The man. audience. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, the, the micro communities, that was a really big takeaway, man. Um, we're out of time. This is awesome. So what you got a lot of stuff that people can check out, but where do you want people to go to, to follow you and, and check your stuff out? Yeah, just go to top1.fm, T-O-P, the number one.fm. You will find basically everything from there. You'll find the podcasts, you'll find the books, you'll find me on LinkedIn. Uh, come along for the ride. We're having some fun. And it's Finding uh, Sales Success on LinkedIn is the name of the new book, right? That's right. Yep. Yep. Make sure to check out the ebook. I'm going to link to that in the show notes. And thanks for coming on, Scott. My pleasure. Thanks, Jason. That was a really fun one. I, I think the biggest takeaway, not only for me, but I think is also a good takeaway for anyone getting started with this is that you don't need a huge platform. And you know, we mentioned that people tend to look at this thing backwards where they need to build a big audience. And he's all about the relationships. And he's been very successful because of that. So that would be my biggest advice for you if you're looking to build your personal brand or continue building it is you don't need a huge audience. It's really about the relationships. It's the one-to-one -one stuff that you're doing. It's the personalized stuff that you're doing that will eventually grow into uh, something very big if that's what your goal is. So thanks for tuning in. I have one quick ask before you take off. If you could, 
and you enjoy the interview, go to blissfulprospecting.com slash iTunes or just search on iTunes or whatever player you're in that's playing through iTunes and leave us a quick, honest review of what you thought. It really helps to grow the show so I can continue getting on great guests like Scott. And that is all. We'll talk to you later.